Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 7, please. Genesis 7, we're in this Genesis fact or fiction apologetic series, and I made a determination. After last week, I realized you were drinking sort of out of a fire hydrant. There was a lot of stuff, and I have even more this week. So I'm going to split this in two. If you're like me and you don't like to leave blanks, if you, you know, you leave with an outline and there are still blanks, I'm sorry, you're going to have blanks today, but if you'll come back next week, you'll get all your blanks filled in, I promise. Uh, we were learning out of, Ephes- out of Genesis 6, um, 8, that Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's an important thing. But I want us to learn a new verse today, this week and next week, out of chapter 7, verse 5, because this is also important. Not only did Noah find grace or favor in God's eyes, Noah did everything that God told him to do. So I want us to say this verse together. You guys join me. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Now, I'm grateful that Noah found grace in God's eyes. I'm also grateful that Noah did everything that God told him to do. If Noah had not done everything, do you realize we wouldn't be here today? It's very important to get our head around the fact that this is not some weird children's mythological story. This is historical reality. Do you know how significant the flood is? I think I said it last week. The creation narrative takes up two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2. Two chapters, God created. And then chapter two, God gets into more detail about creating mankind in his image, how he formed and fashioned Adam, and then from his side, Eve. But do you realize that the, the flood narrative doesn't take two chapters, it takes three chapters. God gives more chapters, more verses, more words to this particular story, the narrative of the flood, than he does to creation itself. Clearly, this is critical. I mean, if you talk a lot about something, it means something to you. A couple of weeks ago, we said a storm is brewing. I had a mini-series, a storm is brewing. Then I said last week, be prepared. Today, the world is underwater. The world is underwater. This is God's great punishment on mankind for our sinfulness. It's infected, affected everything. Only in the eschaton, only in the end of time, will there be widespread cataclysmic judgment coming again. But of course, not by flood water, but in the recreation of heaven and earth. The flood is essentially God decreating, God hitting the reset button. It's not quite a full system reboot for you computer guys. It's not building from nothing because God didn't destroy humans or animals. He preserved humankind and animal kind. But this is as close as you can get from a full system reset. And why is it that we see some of the oldest animals that we observe in science today? Why is it that we see some of the oldest things in water? In fact, stemming out of Darwinian evolutionary theory, this idea is that we arose from primordial slime. There was this soup, if you will, of single cell organisms that gave way to aquatic life, that gave way to uh, fish that began to walk on the land. And of course you can find mudfish and other things, but that doesn't mean they became birds that later became reptiles, that later became mammals, that later became us. I mean, eventually, right, from from the, uh, what do they say, from primordial slime, from the goo to you, right? And so, no, of course it doesn't mean that. It means why are some of the older things we observe in the waters? 
Well, because of the universal flood. When we look at the evidence, it is overwhelming. And because I have a little more time by splitting this up, what about those dinosaurs? Next week, I'm going to dig even deeper than this, but I want to say a couple of things about dinosaurs. Yes, they lived with humans. Yes, some representative kinds were on the ark. They don't have to be the giant of every kind, but some smaller variants were on the ark. Yes, others were destroyed in the flood as all land-bearing animals were. Yes, the Bible speaks of them. You said, no, come on, man. I got a King James Bible. My King James Bible doesn't use the word dinosaur. Okay, when did the word dinosaur come to be? No one used the word dinosaur before the mid-1800s, guys. No one. So when we look back scripturally, you absolutely see glints. Why do you think there are even dragon-like narratives all over the world? Why is it that there are dragon narratives living simultaneously with people? Why does the Bible speak of things like behemoth? and Leviathan, creatures that we can't fully understand or unpack. Why does the Bible speak of such things, living simultaneously? And do I actually believe that dinosaurs still live today? Not in the sense of what you see in Jurassic Park, but brother, I lived in Florida for five years. I'm telling y'all, dinosaurs still exist, okay? They might be scurrying across the sidewalk this long, or they might be in your retention pond six to eight feet long waiting to eat your little poodle, but they exist, man. But what we have done is a grave disservice when we, when we take out the flood narrative and try to explain this thing across millions, if not billions of years in some great meteorite. No, no, no. There is a simple explanation. The whole world changed radically post-flood. The post-flood world was nothing like the pre-flood world and different animal groups thrived and different ones did not. Science does tell us that there are not just dinosaurs, but thousands upon thousands upon tens of thousands of animals that are no longer here today, that once were and are now no more. Thus is the cycle of life and creatures and even species. And so there's nothing mythical or magical about the fact that the types of dinosaur records we have today do not coincide with what we see walking around. But if you wanna come back, I hope you will, tune in, come back next week, and I'm gonna unpack some more specifically about dinosaurs and human beings. And remember, diet also changed. You see, sin changed everything. Dinosaurs weren't chomping down on human beings when Adam and Eve were in the garden or when Cain and Abel were around. Things changed dramatically. Things changed for our diet post-flood. We'll see that once we get over to chapter nine, I believe it is. But here's the deal. Today, I wanna get into more pressing matters. Now, I almost titled this Water World, but I knew what some of y'all would think if I said Water World. Does anybody have anything come to mind? Yeah, creepy post-apocalyptic so-called thriller that was a bust for Kevin Costner. I'm glad he's doing better these days. Uh, It was a horrible movie. And I didn't want you to think of this in some sort of fanciful or Hollywood or mythological sense. But let me say, before we read chapter 7, we have done a grave disservice on the Noadic Flood narrative. And we did it too. In our children's room, I don't remember which child's nursery was decorated this way, but we have put an image before our children of Noah's flood 
And then they've gone into elementary school and they've gone on up into middle school, high school, even college, and we've never done a great service to change the image. What image comes to mind when you think of a children's book in Noah's Flood? Look at the screen. Isn't that about what you think of? And you think it's a cute, colorful, funny little story. But a cute, colorful, funny little story is not at all what we're about to read. In fact, I get that you don't want to plaster your kid's nursery with people drowning. I get that. That's very morbid, okay? I get it. But this goofy concept of a colorful giraffe or two poking their head out of the top of the ark ain't getting it done, folks. We have got to get back to say what we observe today is so radically fundamentally different from then and there. I'll end today with an illustration. It's come in various forms over the years. I happen to use a particular variant that I've come up with, but it's come in various forms. But I wanna use an illustration to tell you this. There is a difference, a radical difference in what we observe and see today and what we once saw and observed or what the world once looked like. I do believe Ken Ham and others are right when they speak of historical science versus observational science. I believe when we attempt to apply modern scientific methodology to the creation story or the decreation, recreation through the flood narrative, we do a grave disservice and we add millions of years that are unnecessary and we add layer upon layer of complexity. And if you believe that we came from goo all the way to you and there's this this movement, you're crazy. There's so much missing in that narrative. There's so much that's not there. Oh, well, we'll just find it one day. There'll be enough. They've already discovered that in re-piecing certain parts of fossil record, it's very, very easy for even the best archaeologists to make, make major mistakes, to put this piece with this piece that never belonged, and to say, well, clearly, we are morphing and changing and evolving. It's just ludicrous. And quite frankly, it takes too much faith for me to believe that. But I'm also not going to believe these cutesy kid stories about this flood. Today it gets real. The world is underwater. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. And then we're just going to focus on sort of one aspect of this story today. And then I'll give you some asides. We'll dip our toe in the pool of numerology at the end. We'll talk about why these things matter. And immediately out of the gate, some of you are going to scratch your head because you were here last week. And you're going to go, whoop, whoop, something's not right. But hang with me. Noah had done all that God commanded him. Then, verse 1, the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark you and all your household, because I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven of every, what? Whoa. Some of your Bibles say seven pair. I'll come back to it. I thought last week we read two. Two by two by two by two. God's word is not a contradiction. We'll come back. You'll take seven of every clean animal, a male and his female. Interesting binary. Two of each of the animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Another interesting binary. And nobody's defining their terms. Everybody knows what that means. And everybody knows why God says a male and a female. And seven each of birds of the air, male and female. Wow, seems like God's repeating that a lot. To keep the species alive. Oh, oh. Okay, interesting. So it takes one of this and one of that and not this and this or that and that. It's another message. (laughs) Keep the species alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days, so God's given them a one-week warning, right? 
I will cause it to rain on the earth, very important, 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy, obliterate from the face of the earth all living things I've made. Now watch, and Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. So remember that lengthy life expectancy is gonna change dramatically post-flood. And so Noah, so now we get a little bit more detail. So Noah with his sons, there were three, his wife, his son's wives, eight of them, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the earth, two by two, so this is back to the unclean, two by two they went into the ark to Noah. So God is doing that. Remember, God's drawing them. He repeats this crazy phrase again, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days, because God said it, that the waters of the flood were on the earth. Now guys, verse 11, we're gonna hammer down next week. I'm gonna show you some fossils, some really cool fossils from some really crazy places. You're not gonna believe where these came from. Uh, I'm gonna show you what's happening in verse 11. It's incredibly important. In the 600th year of Noah's life, seventh month, uh, I'm sorry, second month, 17th day of the month on this day, so it's very specific, watch. The foundations of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open. There's something happening here and here, and that's what changes everything. Verse 12, and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very, now, you gotta repeat. Why a repeat? Oral and oral culture. You repeat things. Hebrews replete with repetition. Uh, that's pretty good. All right, so on the same day, Noah And now it's specific, Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and Noah's wife and three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. So we're repeating, they and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind. So specifically, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh in which is the breath of life, so that, he says it again, so those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him, watch this, and the Lord shut him in. That's very cool. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days and the waters increased and lifted up the ark and it rose high above the earth and the waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. Remember, he's not steering, he's not sailing, it's just moving. The waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth and all the high hills covered the whole, all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. That's important. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered. Any of you that know anything about the draft of a boat? know why that's important. We'll come back next week. And the waters prevailed 15 cubits, 21, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. That's very specific to land animals. That word earth is land. Birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and, watch this, every man. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry, and land's not actually there, but on the dry, all of those died. And so he, God, destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing, bird of the air, they were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Heavenly Father, 
I know that we put the bright images up there and I know it's cute to see sort of fluffy animals, their big eyes and and, and Lord, I know we as parents have done it and I, I mean no harm here, Lord, to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but my heart when I read this is stirred because sin is so serious and because you were resetting this creation and while you've promised to never do it in this fashion again, as we look around, Lord, it appears that a different type of water is rising. And we know there's only one hope of salvation, one ark, one door, one way. And it's not through Noah, but it's through Jesus. And so I'm praying today that you teach us by your word and your spirit and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And then let us apply these truths. I want people to leave today, God, more bold in their faith, bold and sure of the veracity of your word, the historicity of what we're reading, that this is true and right and good and even verifiable. But we can't simply use observational current scientific methodologies to understand what happened then and there. And your word is not gonna give us everything we may want to know, but it certainly supplies everything we need to know. And so we are ready to move closer to you in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. So I'm gonna give you point one and a few subpoints today. And I know it's gonna sound a little bit simplistic because I'm a cookie on the bottom shelf guy. I just believe we gotta take some complicated matters and bring them down where we can all reach them. I think it's very important for the students in the room. Uh, I think it's very important for uh, not just the students, for all of us. Because most of us, if we are honest, haven't spent a lot of time un uncovering these things. And to be very honest with you guys, I edited myself till I just couldn't edit anymore. And that's why I split this into at least two parts here. But I want you to catch the main thing, okay? When the world is underwater, make sure you're in the boat. That is a very important truth that you may miss if you don't take a text like this and look for patterns. What I often do when I read a text, particularly in Hebrew, is I try to see repeated patterns. What is God emphasizing, re-emphasizing, and emphasizing again? Are there some concepts, some words, some verbs? Part of this is just pure old hermeneutics. How do we interpret scripture? And what you wanna do when you study a passage or like this, a full narrative, a chapter, which is a big slice of this narrative account of the flood, you wanna say, what is God saying over and over and over? Okay, you say, now wait a minute, preacher. When the world's underwater, make sure you're in the boat. That's not gonna happen again. God promised that, I know the rainbow story, I know what it really means, well, okay, you're right. But the flood narrative, just like the Exodus narrative, is a precursor, a foreshadowing of God's judgment on the lost and need of salvation through one ark, one door, one way. This is a precursor. And you know what people like to do? They like to say, I believe in Jesus, just give me Jesus. Some very well-known pastors, even as of late, have said, we must unhitch the Old Testament from the New. Just don't get hung up in this stuff, just give them Jesus. But if you believe in Jesus, and you believe he was the Son of God, and God the Son, and you believe he was and is a great rabbi, a great teacher, a great leader, a great moral example, maybe you believe he's the only savior of the world, but you then say, I'll take Jesus, but I don't want any of this fairy tell Noah stuff, then you haven't taken Jesus. You haven't taken the real Jesus because Jesus Christ himself believed in the flood narrative. Jesus believed in Noah. Jesus 
spoke of what happened in these days as a historically accurate account of world history. He tells us in Matthew 24 that people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving, uh, and giving in marriage, meaning they're just getting along with their, their lives. He says in those days, there's kind of like, think about it like this. Maybe they were just ignoring this strange little man and his crew who were building a massive boat with nowhere for it to, to, to sail, for nowhere to float. Jesus is saying in those days, everybody's just getting along and yet there were signs. And there was a man that was doing things that should have been obvious to them. Maybe they chose to assume he was wrong about his predictions. But judgment fell just as God said it would. And the Lord Jesus said this, just like it happened then, so too will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, was he lying about his coming? Of course he wasn't lying. He was speaking truth. And so he said, just like people were just doing their thing back in this day, When I step out and come back, people are going to be doing their thing, but there will be few watching and ready. And he said, I want you to be those who are watching and ready. Noah's faith and faithfulness are powerful reminders for us living today to look for the coming again of our Lord. Noah still has something to say to us when we're settled to just get along with our lives. Just do your thing. Just let the world do its thing. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, let me see if I can show you what I'm getting at. Make sure you're in the boat. Let's look at one again. The Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. He invites him. You and your household, you're righteous before me. I've noticed that. Now I want you to look at verse seven. So Noah, with his sons, his wife, his son's wives, went into the ark. Same phraseology. That's where I'm seeing a repeat. The same concept. They went into the ark because of the waters of the flood, meaning they're on the horizon. I want you to skip to 13. On the very same day, what does this mean, on the very same day? I believe it's a reference back to one. When you study the originals, it gives you this indicator that when God makes the invite, Noah obeys immediately on that day, but it's a repeat in the text. Noah, now it gets specific. His son, Shem, Ham, Japheth, his wife and three wives of his sons, we don't get their names. They entered the ark. God said, enter They entered, I'm gonna remind you again, they entered, now watch this, verse 16. So those that entered, now this is of all of them, male and female of all flesh went, look at the language, in as God commanded him and the Lord shut him in. Now I got to thinking, how do I wanna say that? How do I want you to remember that truth? I said it like this. Noah had to follow God's instructions precisely to build the ark, but he also had to follow God's directions promptly to board the ark. Could you imagine, you've worked all these years, I would say at least four plus decades, we don't know how long, but many decades to build this incredible ship. And then God said, Noah, time to go in. You got a week, my son, go. And what if Noah said, well, God, I'm pretty tired. My back's still pretty sore. If you could give us just a little bit longer, would the ark have saved Noah and his family if they chose to stay outside? Yes or no? No. No, the ark doesn't save if you don't go in. See, that's why I like to say partial obedience is disobedience. Noah had to obey all the way. And see, this is what happens in church sometimes. Church folk will come in and get a little bit. You just get a little dose. 
and we feel a little bit better because I got my dose. And in the South especially, we can sort of check the box. Now, it's not as social as it used to be, but let's be honest, for a very long time, church was a social gathering. And that was the heart of a community. And I just checked my body and I feel pretty good. And I'm gonna be partially obedient, but I'm gonna go out and live like the devil. I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do because it really doesn't affect where I live and how I move. But Noah had to put feet to his faith and he had to keep moving. And if you think about it, had he not gone in, God said, come on in. Now Noah, come on. And God himself was gonna raise the door and shut him in. If Noah hadn't done it, I believe he would have perished with everybody else. He could build it, but he still had to board it. And so it is with our faith. Do y'all remember account from Moses' day in the Exodus where God said, I want you to kill the lamb at twilight and then I want if it's too much for your family share it with those around you but I want you to take that lamb I want you to slaughter it I want you to roast it over fire don't break its legs it's a precursor of the Lord I want you to take some of that blood and I want you to put it on the doorpost and the lintel of your house anybody know the story I'm talking about everybody know that And and when you do that, I will pass over you and the death angel will not come to visit and take the life of your firstborn. Now, what if I killed the lamb? What if I roasted the lamb? What if I had my unleavened bread? But what if I said, you know, my doorpost is pretty clean right now. I don't really want to bloody her up. What if I did all of that? Then I haven't done enough. And see, some of you are, are close. You're close to the kingdom, like the rich man. You're close but you haven't gone all the way. And you got to be in the boat when the world is underwater. You got to be all the way in with your life. You know, Romans 10, 17 says, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Noah gave God a word. He said, build it. Noah gave God a word. He said, board it. There is no more striking example of this other than maybe the life of Jesus himself where God gives a word and the man obeys perfectly. And you know, he's told about this cataclysmic flood. He believed God, it's coming. He'd never seen anything like that. He's informed that the end of all flesh is at hand. He believed that. He says, build this thing, a football field and a half or more long. He did it. But then he's invited by the Lord. Come on in, come on. I've brought these animals. I need to close this door behind you. What a difficult step when the rain's not yet falling. But you know, it's very interesting. Noah's family is being identified. And then the more you track down the text, the more specific it gets. We don't get the names of the daughters-in-law. We don't get the names of the missus, but we do get the names of the males. And what's interesting here is God is very specific. And could that be a word for me today? never speaks to their righteousness, never speaks to their faith. It speaks to his faith. Could it be that God as a head of a home is saying something to me today? Let me say yes and no. I'll start with the no. No, me being a father who is saved, who is a Christian, does not automatically mean that my children or grandchildren are saved by my faith. No, the Bible is clear. Each one will stand before God on his or her own. No, I cannot be saved for my four or my two granddaughters. I can't be saved for them. But yes, I can be a man of God before them and pray for them in such a way that it's making the crooked places straight and the rough places plain. Like a John the Baptist going before the Lord, in some sense, I am making preparation 
paving the way for my children who have all four given their life to Jesus and our grandchildren who we pray will one day do so. I'm paving the way towards salvation. I'm not gonna save them myself. None of us saves anybody else. But I'm paving the way like Paul. I've become all things to all men that I may by all means, may by all means win some. He's saying, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to let God use me to be a pathway to salvation. And so I've written it like this, God's grace and Noah's active faith led to his salvation and the deliverance of his household. It's a very powerful truth. I'm not saying you're gonna get saved for your kids. I'm saying that God can use you to pave a pathway that God can use you to be a blessing to the third and fourth generation, or as we sing, to a thousand generations. And I love that beautiful detail in verse 16, that Yahweh himself shut the door behind Noah and his family and the animals. Literally, when it says the Lord shut him in, the Hebrew language may be rendered, he covered him round about. He covered him round about. He is the special object of divine care and protection. He's assured that he's doing the right thing. Now, think about this. Noah's faith has been on witness for at least some four to five decades, if not, some scholars say up to 120 years. Depends on how you interpret Genesis 6-3, but we've already talked about that. So let me say this. It's been a long time, but Noah now has to persevere during the whole next year. Now, we're not there yet. When we get to the next chapter, we'll see that this process actually takes a year for the water to recede, for Noah and his family to go, a year he's living on this thing, a year. How much does God say to Noah in that year after the door is closed? How many words in the Bible are recorded from God to Noah in that year? How many? Zero point zero. He tells him build the boat. He tells him board the boat. He closes the door. And then there's silence. I'm not saying God didn't speak. I'm telling you we don't have it in recorded scripture. We don't have it in the word of God. So we're making an assumption from silence. Have you ever followed the will of God? And you just knew you were walking the path God laid for you, but all of a sudden it's radio silence. God, I'm trying to do what you asked me to do. I'm trying to lead or go the way you want me to go, but I'm not hearing anything. I gave my heart and my life to Jesus in the spring of, of 85. It's hard to believe that's coming up on 40 years, 38 years, March 30th, 95, 85. It'll be 38 years this year. It'll be my spiritual birthday. <clears throat> I've never faced a flood like Noah, but I've faced some floods. For our family, 2016-17 was a flood year. Losing my father, losing Cindy's father, a grandmother. You do enough family funerals, that'll work on you. Having Bobby, uh, our son, uh, diagnosed as a type one diabetic, going through challenges like this, family challenges. Church was doing phenomenally well, but our personal life was, we were just struggling with so many things. Cindy had some health issues that thankfully were resolved quickly. But the point is that, you know, sometimes it seems like we're doing all we can to walk with the Lord. We've done what he's asked, but then there's a silence. If you'll stay with me, when we get there, I promise you God remembered Noah. 
If you'll stay with me, I promise you, think about how the children of Israel felt in slavery, in Pharaoh's land once Joseph and the crew died out. Think about how they felt for not a hundred years and not a couple hundred years, but for over 400 years when there's just this seeming silence from the Lord. And I would say, guys, if we understand here that God has some very intentional things he's teaching, let, let me give you some examples. Don't get hung up in things that don't matter. I said there were two animals coming, two by two. You've heard that your whole life. Now there's seven. Some of your Bibles say seven pairs. Why? Because in the Hebrew, it says seven, seven. Even the best Hebrew scholar doesn't know if that means seven pair or just seven, seven meaning a repeat, like seven. Okay, now did you hear me? Seven. Because that is very possible. Again, repetition is at the root of much Hebrew. So you have seven, seven. So now if it's seven animals, what would that be? And you say, but God hasn't already differentiated between, between clean and unclean. Sure he has to Noah. It's not recorded for us, but God has clearly told him these are clean, these are unclean. This is the type. It's not written down two years later, but Noah already understood Sabbath principle. Adam and Eve understood Sabbath principle, but God hasn't given the 10 commandments yet. So you have these precursors before Moses is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it down. My point is this, what does this mean, this seven thing? Well, if it's seven animals, you had three pair and one left over for sacrifice because Noah, listen to this, Noah doesn't leave his religion just because he gets on the boat. Noah's still commanded to honor God and worship and when he comes out, there's gonna be great sacrifices going up as an aroma to God. Now for us, Jesus is the once for all sacrifice. But if there are seven pair, that just means there's gonna be more sacrifice. But there's male and there's female. Don't get hung up, but seven is a number of perfection. It's used in the Bible all the time. Most scholars tell us it's because it's a combination of heaven and earth. Heaven, three. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the great triune Godhead, four earth, north, south, east, west. We say the four corners of the earth. The Bible never assumes the earth is square or flat. It knows exactly how the earth is shaped because God of the Bible created it. But you put those together, heaven and earth, and you have a perfection number of seven. 40 is also a number that's used a lot. I won't get too deep in numerology here. It's not the point of the text, but I want you to understand God works it all together. God's put all of this together. You have 40 days, 40 nights. You remember Moses stayed on the mountain 40 days and nights to get the law from God, the 10 commandments. You recall Moses's life is divided into 40 year periods, three of them, according to Stephen's testimony in the book of Acts. We also find that Israel's spies are in the land of Canaan, the promised land, for 40 days. They go in and they look and when they come back and they disobey God, all except Caleb and Joshua, God says, okay, if you won't enter therein, I'll give you 40 years of wilderness wandering. Now I could go on and on and on with sevens and forties. We could get into twelves and other things. The point is this, while it's interesting, it's not the main thing. The primary point herein I think is very simple. When judgment comes as God says it was coming, are you and those you love ready. It's not coming in this way again. God's not gonna use a universal flood again, but God is going to judge this world. In fact, when we see verse 23, it says, God destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground. Man, cattle, creeping thing, bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those with him in the ark. You had to be inside. Only those remained alive. When the water of death or raptures rise, will you be ready? One or the other's coming for you. Jesus is gonna break the eastern sky 
or the real you is gonna separate from this external shell. The spirit, the soul will one day leave this earthly tent. Either way, when you are absent from the body, you will be before the Lord. Are you ready? As Jeff and the band come up, I wanna close with this illustration. It's something I've thought of. There are different variants of this. Some have talked about it with, um, uh, there's a classic, a very old illustration about an elephant. I wanna use something a little more modern and something a little easier for us to get our head around here since we live close to Dollywood. Let's talk about a roller coaster for a second. And not just a plane up and down, maybe not just an old wooden coaster. I want you to think about one with some loop-de-loops in it. And this is where I do, I don't agree with everything from Answers in Genesis or Creation Research Institute with Ken Ham, but I agree with a lot. And this is one where I think Ham is dead on with observational science versus historical science. And I do think we have to differentiate. I believe next week we're gonna unpack all of this in detail. So I wanna whet your appetite. I believe that things were all together at one time, just like your geologist, scientist, archeologist, they all believe so too. And in this meta or mega continent, you had massive disruption and shifting. And the common thinking is that that took place over millions and millions and millions of years. That's only been in the last few hundred years, by the way, that that thinking has been around. Most have said, no, 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 it was cataclysmic. It happened very quickly and now it's slowing down. What we're trying to do right now is we're trying to explain a roller coaster by watching it come into the station. <laughs> Let me see if I can get our head around this and chew on this this week. I want you to picture a roller coaster in your mind, but I only want you to picture a 10 or 20 foot section of it. You choose. And then I want you to describe the roller coaster to someone who's never seen or heard one. For some of you, you're gonna describe a roller coaster goes click to 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 click and it's on an uphill, it's on an incline. More of you are probably gonna say, oh no, a roller coaster's going down and it's fast and it's going downhill. And some of you are gonna say, no, a roller coaster in my section is upside down. People are screaming and laughing and some like my wife are quoting scripture. <laughs> True story, I'll tell you one day. And some of you are gonna say, no, 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 a roller coaster is actually decelerating on flat track coming in to the station. If you try to explain a roller coaster by only looking at one piece, you're gonna be very unsuccessful. And there are a lot of people today, I would call many of them pseudoscientists, who are trying to explain the world in which we live by looking at the world in which we live. And they're taking no revelation into account whatsoever. And so of course the plates are moving very slowly and they're gradual upheaval. But I'm here to tell you that in Genesis chapter seven, you have the whole roller coaster, man. You have everything happening at one time, so gigantic, so cataclysmic, so monumental that the face of the world itself changes, that the mountains rise to new heights that they had never seen before, that the waters burst forth from the bottom and the top, that the whole crust of the planet looks different. And of course now, not millions, but thousands or a few tens of thousands of years later, of course things have settled out some, but beneath there's still a boiling cauldron of unrest because the Bible says the earth itself groans under the weight of sin for its own restoration. 
And so what I want you to understand is you don't have to be afraid of this narrative. You don't have to be afraid of the Bible. I am here to tell you, if you will take God at his word from Genesis to Revelation, you will find the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God, you will understand why you are here. You will understand what you are here for. You will understand where you are going and you will understand that Jesus Christ is the only way. That just like the ark is a picture of salvation, Jesus is your hope and your salvation. He died on the cross for your sin. He was buried and by the power of God raised the third day. He's seated at the right hand of the Almighty and he's soon coming to get us through rapture or death. One way you're gonna stand and I am ready when the world is underwater, are you? Stand with me this morning. Thank you. I want you to be ready, guys. I don't want you to be afraid of these out here who is saying, well, in the last hundred years, we are so advanced, we figured it out. <laughs> we are not that advanced, you guys. Go to, have you ever been to the Great Pyramids? Have you ever seen some of the things that our ancestors did? We're not nearly as wonderful as we think we are. We're not nearly as smart as we think we are. Do you honestly think we are evolving and getting better? Do you honestly think that this world is in better shape? Can we be real? And can we say this? Noah listened to God. Noah did what God told him to do. He did it precisely. He did it promptly. I'm asking you this morning, listen to God. If you're not saved, I know what he wants you to do. He wants you to get saved. He wants you to give your life to Jesus. Pastors and counselors will help you do that. If you're saved, but you're not walking with God by faith and growing in holiness, he wants you to cut it out and get serious with him. Quit playing childhood games with the God of the universe. He wants you to get right. And if you're here today and you need to be an intercessor, you know, I, I did not use this in my message because I didn't want you to think in any way that I was trying to manipulate, but you know, we love Pastor Mike. Mike Floyd has been with us now for three years and Pastor Mike called me two days ago. His mother suddenly passed away in the night, only 65 years of age. That sounds a lot younger than it used to, especially for you, Jeff, especially for you. Yeah, no, his mother passed away. And guys, my heart has been, I prayed with Pastor Mike this morning. We've been talking, he's heading out tomorrow. He's gonna, he's gonna be able to share Jesus with family and friends and they're gonna come into Northeast Florida and, but it reminded me when he called me and he said one of his siblings had just informed him. It reminds me that man, life is fragile and life is short and you need to nail it down today while you have this moment. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. You need to get right. You know what I'm tired of? It's just with a conference with some of my buddies from around the country tired of hearing about churches that don't give people a chance to come to Jesus anymore. Tired of churches that won't say, you come, please come. Please give your life to I'm tired of churches that have stopped inviting people to the throne of grace. Grace is a church that believes this cover to cover. And if I believe it cover to cover, that means some people are gonna be separated from God forever. But if you'll trust Jesus, you can live with God in eternity forever and ever. And he can change your life today. He can change your eternity. But you gotta step out by faith 
God says, come in. Now take a step and come. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.